Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see you all in here. Would you turn into your Bibles to the book of Revelation? And it's not the book of Revelations. We, we talked about that first week. Some people think it's the book of Revelations, but it's just the book of Revelation. Who is it revealing to us? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Chapter 3 is where we'll be this week looking at uh, those two chapters. And so, um, it's all right. Uh, there, there's, I heard music. Maybe it's just me. Did you hear music? Okay, it's in heaven. <laughs> Anyways, um, Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. Last week and the week before, we talked about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about him. Today, we are going to focus our attention on a pretty sensitive subject, which is about us, the church. And then next week and the week after, we are going to focus our attention on worship. Revelation 4 and 5 will be next week. And it is some of the best writing in all of the book of Revelation, if not the whole Bible, if not the whole world of writing. We have a description in Revelation 4 and 5 of the throne room of heaven and Jesus and the Lamb. And who is worthy to open the scroll? It's this Lamb. It's Jesus, the Lion of Judah. It will be uh, like a a climax of where we're going in the book of Revelation next week and the week after. But today, a sensitive subject for us, the church. And so if you're in Revelation chapter 2, let's focus our attention. Let's focus uh, our thoughts on the these words, Jesus to John, to the church in Ephesus. If you would, would you stand with me while we read? We're just going to read these four first verses, Revelation 2, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, to the church, excuse me, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So he tells Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, who have found them false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then here's a correction for them. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Maybe your translation says that you've forsaken your first love. Verse 5, consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. This is the word of the Lord. And God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, these words you give to your servant John, to this church in Ephesus, Lord, they're for us today. Lord, may you speak to us this morning with this sermon. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, Lord, be holy, pleasing, acceptable to you. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We worship your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people with joy screamed, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 2 starts off with, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And I thought I would uh, maybe do a quick nerd alert, talk about the Greek behind this word, to the angel. And so, nerd alert. (laughs) 
Thank you. The, the Greek word here to be nerdy is angelo. And there's a couple ways to interpret what's going on here. Jesus tells John to write to the angel, to the messenger. Maybe does your Bible next to the word angel have a little squiggly line above it or below it? And then a reference down below that says this word angel could also mean messenger. My Bible has that. And so there's a couple different ways to interpret this. There's two main ones. One is to just read it. Like maybe your translation says to the angel of Ephesus. So you imagine Jesus telling John to write to the spiritual being who oversees Ephesus, which is kind of a cool prophetic mystery, poetic, uh, beautiful way of, of inviting the heavenlies and saying, oh, there's spiritual beings all around us. And, and, and Jesus is in charge of them all. And there's spiritual things going on. And this church is suffering. It's a way to encourage them. I imagine writing a letter to a family that's going through a very hard time. Maybe they've lost a child. And so you write a sympathy. You write an encouraging letter to this household, to the angel over the Smith household. I know your deeds, your faithfulness. The Lord is with you. It's kind of a cool way to go about introducing what you're about to say. That's a one way of interpreting, but the more likely interpretation is not as poetic and and majestic. The, the, the way that I probably see this is it's uh, to a messenger of the church. And so the, the Greek word angelo could just means messenger. And so sometimes in the New Testament, there's people, human beings, like John the Baptist is a messenger that prepares the way for Jesus. He is referred to as a angelos of God, a messenger of God. So what's probably going on here is Jesus is telling John to write to the person who is going to read this message out loud. And so in Revelation chapter one, where we looked at last week, it said, um, you know, blessings to the person reading this aloud and blessings to the people listening to this. So this letter is being read in Ephesus, in ancient church, in an ancient world. And Jesus has three things that I see in here because every sermon of mine, pretty much every sermon is three points. And so I have three points from here, Revelation 2 and 3. And the first one is this. The church holds the power of Christ on earth. The church, us today, these seven churches throughout uh, Asia, um, hold the power of Christ on earth today. These seven cities were real cities. There's probably different ways to interpret the book of Revelation and specifically these seven cities. I've heard that these are seven American cities. I've heard that these could be seven presidents. I've heard that they could be seven um, uh, ages of the church. But whatever that, you know, if, you, if that's uh, maybe some thoughts that you are thinking about along the lines of interpreting the book of Revelation, we should all at least agree that these are literal, actual seven churches in the ancient world that John is writing to literal seven cities at his time to encourage them. And Brett made a beautiful joke, a funny joke last week that said, it'd be very odd for Jesus to tell John to write a letter, letter to seven churches who are suffering and code it in such a way that only people living 2,000 years later would undo the codes and say, oh, this is Vladimir Putin. <laughs> like that's probably not. Like these are seven literal cities and we should. Two weeks ago we said, 
Every book of the Bible, the book of Revelation included, is not written literally to us, but it is, of course, written for us. And so we can understand, we can receive truth and the word of God from the book of Revelation. And we could look and say, oh, well, Jesus is returning. This is about future events. But some of it, we, all of it, we have to realize it is not codes, but actually a letter written into an ancient world that we need to get into the context of this ancient world to interpret. Okay, that's all part of this nerve alert. Let's get into what is being said here. So if you thumb through the Revelation 2 and 3, you'll see that it's two, seven different churches, and there's a lot of encouragement here. A whole bunch of encouragement from this person, John of Patmos, who has a shepherd's pastor heart for these people, a shepherd's pastor's heart for the church, and he wants to encourage people. Uh, Revelation 2.2 2, to the church in Ephesus, he starts off, and we read this already, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Like that's meant to encourage. Like Jesus is telling these people that he's seen them. He knows how hard they've worked. And some, some of you, maybe that's what you need to hear today. Like Jesus is watching over you. Jesus knows that this season we have been in is been hard. And we as a church, we've been working. We've been seeking him. And maybe the right hand of the Father on you today, you just need to be reminded. Like Jesus sees your hard work and your deeds. And this is to encourage us. I had a friend who I used to work out with. Uh, his, his nickname was Big Bill, and he goes by William. He was a Division I football player for the Spartans, and we would work out together, and he would just do a lot of weight, and I'd be used, doing these little tiny weights. And his way of encouraging me, like from across the gym, he's like, Joe, I see you working. I see you working. Keep working. I see you working. And it was embarrassing, like, oh, gosh. But it, it lifted me up, like these little weights. I was like, yeah, I am. I'm working. <laughs> He sees me working. I'm working. And I think that that same attitude here, Jesus sees us working. He sees the church and he loves his people. Amen. So here's some more encouragement to the church in Ephesus in, in verse uh, Revelation 2, 7. He says to the one who's victorious, like keep being, keep going to the one who's victorious. I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Continually throughout the book of Revelation, he reminds us of the life to come. I know Jesus says and John says throughout this letter that it is hard right now. There is persecution, but keep on keeping on. I see your hard work. You will get to eat with me in the kingdom. You will get a white robe. Keep working. Keep on working hard. I see you. To the church in Pergamum, he says, you live in a hard place. Verse 13 of chapter 2, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days. These hard days have been hard. Persecution, you did not renounce. Well done. To the church in Thyatira, he says, I know your deeds. Very similar to what he says to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Which is cool because Ephesus, uh, as we just read, lost their first love. They've fallen from uh, doing the God's work and they're, they're doing something else. They need to return to Jesus. But this church, Thyatira, they're doing more now than they ever have done. Sardis in Revelation 3 verse 4 says, um, To those who uh, keep on, you will walk with me dressed in white for you are worthy. To the one who is victorious will be dressed in white. I 
I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge them and that name before my father and his angels. Like the Lord wants us to be encouraged. He sees us these times, the times in the book of Revelation when John is writing is very hard. He's on a prison island of Patmos. There is persecution, but stay steady and you will eat with him. You will get a white robe. You will be rewarded. Be encouraged this morning that although what we are going through as a church The things, the hard seasons we've been through, the Lord is with us. The Lord is watching over us and he sees our deeds. I think about like some of the deeds in this church, like worship leaders who were just on the the stage. I see your deeds. I know the hard work, the rehearsals coming. I see that tech guys and girls in the back. Like you come early. You were the first ones here. I see the Lord is saying, I see your deeds to those that that I think about the Parsons and the Joneses and uh, Ayers and and John James, like the people who serve in the church. Lewicki, I see you like praying and like the Lord sees your deeds and keep going, keep strong. This church is the power of God on this earth. Amen. 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 Revelation 2.10 says this, don't be afraid or of what you are about to suffer. This context of this letter is in the midst of persecution, and John wants us to know, these churches to know, that there, there's, there is suffering, and there may be more suffering, but don't be afraid. He is with us. To give us a little context, he writes this letter from this island of Patmos to 30, 40-something miles away to Ephesus, and then this letter would go to the Roman postal circuit of its time through uh, the Roman roads, following each one of these seven cities. And these cities were quite large for their day, like 100,000, 200,000 people, like metropolises in the ancient world in what is today Turkey. And yet John is writing to churches who were probably no more than 50 to 100 people. Like this room right here could very well be the church in Ephesus at the time when they would have got this letter. Like to be encouraged. Like there is suffering and it is hard and there's persecution and even imprisonment and political powers at war with one another and none of them liking the church. And yet John is saying through Jesus, through John is saying be in courage. Church is important. Do not give up. To talk just a little bit about church and say a couple things. Church, like what we're doing here on a Sunday morning when we worship, when we talk about the word of the Lord, you might think, don't we just do the same thing every week? Like the, like the, the songs, you know, someone from the outside is like, well, you know, where, what's, the, what's the big deal? You know, you sing some songs, you look at a book and you talk about a book and you kind of talk with each other and you pray to a God that you believe in. What's the big deal? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is worshiping the creator of the world, being together. What church is, is like a reset button for us each week, like coming to church and, and, and being with the community of people who are worshiping. There is power here. There is like this reset button in my mind is a good way to think about it, that throughout the week we get disoriented by the world. We get um, into, into things that distract us from the one who really is and was and is to come. And here what we do on Sunday morning is we worship him. We put him in his rightful place in our lives in this church, in this city, in the world. I think about this quote from Eugene Peterson, who translated the whole Old Testament and New Testament, has written pastoral books, has written a book on the book of Revelation as a commentary. And he says this, people who do not worship 
are swept into a vast restlessness epidemic in the world with no steady direction or sustaining purpose. So when we worship, there's, there's rest here. There's a resetting. There's a steady direction. There's a sustaining purpose that we have as Christians when we put Jesus in his rightful place. There's another quote by a boxer. I grew up with this guy playing video games, Mike Tyson's punch out and stuff like that. Mike Tyson says famously, like, everyone's got a plan. Do you know this quote? Until you get punched in the mouth. Like, we all have, like, oh, I'm going to go about this week. I'm going to go about my day. I got this. Yes, I'm going to go. And then you get punched. The world punches us in the mouth, figuratively or literally. I don't know what you do. Um, And you lose your, you get disoriented. You lose your plan. What church is? is this reset where we put God on his throne of our lives, of this world, of this church, of this city, and we worship him, and it's a reset. It is bringing back rest and steady direction and sustaining purpose to our lives. I think about um, the fellowship that we have here. I think about um, the, the men's group. I was just at a men's group on, on Thursday. I think about the women's group starting back up and launching on uh, the first and third Thursday, starting this Thursday, actually. Um, I think about uh, the fellowship, people inviting each over, each over for, for meals. I think about the community here. I think about like the world that doesn't do this, the people of this world that don't do They are missing out on so much. To read this quote again, the people who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness, epidemic in the world with no steady direction, no sustaining purpose. We are called to holiness. Here's point number two of a three-point sermon. Point number two is this. The church is called to holiness. Jesus tells John to write these things down and he has some really nice things, encouraging things to say to the church. But then comes with it, each church has a little bit of correction that Jesus offers to these churches. He offers affirmation, correction, and some promise. And John doesn't hold back in writing to these churches. He calls them some things. Some different churches he calls Satan. He says to one church, I need to spit you out of my mouth. To another church, he says to Ephesus that you've lost your first love. To another church, he calls them idol worshipers. To another church, he just calls them, you guys are dead. This is correction. This is from a loving God who wants us not to just be okay with where we are at. He wants us to be corrected and go on from here to strive to be the church of Jesus. There's a proverb that I love that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Proverbs 27, 6, my, my son and I, he's nine, uh, every morning we, we read half a proverb, and uh, a couple weeks ago, we were reading Proverbs 26, and he got to this, and he said, Dad, what does that mean, wounds from a friend? Why would your friend wound you, and why would that be trusted? And so I got to explain, well, sometimes correction from a loved one, correction from a friend, seems like a wound, but actually, it's meant to help you, it's meant to correct you, it's meant to steer you into a right direction. Jesus corrected these churches because the churches belong to Jesus. Jesus corrects us because we belong to Jesus. 
You usually don't try to correct things that don't belong to you. Like if you're in a grocery store and you see a parent and a bunch of kids belonging to that parent and they're just melting down, they're screaming, they're throwing themselves on the floor, they're asking for gum. Why don't you ever buy me the gum? I need the gum. Why don't you? You're so mean to me. And you see this parent and these kids rolling and going crazy on the ground. What do you do? You know what I do? I just walk by and a little, little saying comes in my head. Not my monkeys, not my circus. <laughs> like that's just, I mean, there's no abuse going on. It's just kids throwing a fit, right? Like they just, just they're not my kids. Keep walking. They're not my monkeys. <laughs> but if they were my little monkey, I have four little boys. Uh, and, and so if they were my kids and they were throwing fits about gum or whatever else, the, the toy aisle, I would say, all right, guys, this is going to be a moment. We're going to have a little correction here. We can't throw fits. You're definitely not getting the gum now because we don't want to reward this, this scene of trauma because you didn't get the gum. And so there would be a correction. There would be a conversation in the car. There'd be conversation later. We don't do that. And that's what we would do. Why? Because they're my kids and I would correct them because they're mine. Jesus corrects us because we are his. A father corrects his sons or daughters because they belong to him. Like when my boys, I hear about something, a teacher calls and said, oh, they, they messed up today. Well, then there's correction that needs to happen. My boys have gotten into the habit of when, you know, a teacher calls and says something has happened. Well, they just know that they need to write a note. They need to write a note to the kid that they punched in the mouth. They need to write a note to the teacher and apologize. They need to, they need to correct it because I'm the father. They're my sons and a correction needs to happen happen. Jesus is correcting in, in certain ways these seven different churches. And he corrects us now with the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Like there's a, a, a bit of brokenness in all churches. There's a bit of brokenness in all church leaders. There's imperfection. But God is not giving up on us. He wants us to thrive. He wants to correct us. All churches have brokenness in them. All churches are filled with sinners. All churches are being led by someone who is a sinner. And Jesus doesn't want us to just stay there. Don't, don't stay there. Don't be in sin. Don't be okay with sin. Learn from it. Grow from it. Strive from it. Repent is where this sermon is going to take us in just a minute. But Jesus will heal us. If you're broken, the church is the best place for you to be because the church can hear your brokenness and Jesus can heal your brokenness. The church can hear your brokenness and Jesus can heal your brokenness. We are not called to stay in sin. What are we to do? I'm glad you asked. Point number three is this. This is the words of Jesus to John, to these churches. We are to repent and to return to Jesus. We are to repent and we are to return to Jesus. Why? Well, some of these corrections to these seven churches from Jesus to John to these churches seem very harsh. Like he, you know, I think about the church of Laodicea. I'm not really sure what was going on there, but they are neither hot nor cold. And so therefore Jesus wants to spit them out of his mouth. Like what an image, like what a rebuke, what a correction. Like here, you guys, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Does anyone else think that's a little like 
wow, that's a little harsh, don't you think? But why? Why does Jesus, why, why does this seem harsh? Why is there correction here? Well, because he ultimately wants us, the church, the Laodicean church, the Ephesus church, the Smyrna church, the Thyatira church, he wants them to repent and to return to Jesus so that they can thrive. They can be the power of God on this earth. On Thursday, when I was at the men's group, we met right out here in the parking lot. And uh, uh, Tyler led us through, like, we're gonna, let's be quiet for a while. So we had two minutes of just quiet. And then we talked about it. how was that? And some people said, that was kind of hard. And other people were like, no, that was awesome. I felt uh, just the connection with the Lord in, in the midst of brothers. And, and we talked about, well, what is it, you know, why is it sometimes that we feel far away from the Lord? And we talked about uh, how we are like vessels. And the image that we started talking about in the men's group was like a boat, like a vessel, like a canoe or something. And I'm familiar with news. I've gone a few trips where we, uh, in the boundary, my wife's from Minnesota, and so upstate Minnesota, uh, there's boundary waters in between the U.S. and Canada, and you canoe in, and you camp, and you fish, and it's awesome. And so when you're canoeing in, you can bring a lot of stuff on your canoe, but you can also bring too much stuff, so much so that your canoe can be dangerous, so much so that um, your canoe, you can't navigate it, so much so that in a little bit of wind, you couldn't paddle this heavy canoe. And this image in my mind of like, coming close to the Lord was like, Lord, I want to get rid of this stuff I don't need. I want to repent and I want to hand this stuff to you to lighten my canoe because repentance is like a vessel we can use to get close to God. There's things in our lives, sin that stacks up and it's like a wall that, that, that is like we put there in between us and the Lord and Jesus wants to break down that wall. Jesus wants to invite himself in. He stands at the door and knocks and so we just need to open it. We need to come to him. We need to repent of the things we've done and welcome him in. Jesus says it this way, verse four, um, to if, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What a word for this church. What a word for us today. Repent. Go back to your first love. Like you've lost your first love. Do you remember, maybe some of you would say you're in this boat where you fell in love with Jesus. You, you gave your life to him. You've had moments along the way in your life thinking about the mountaintop experiences with the Lord, thinking about like him being so close and maybe you've fallen from that. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just distractions. Jesus is calling us back to a relationship with him that can involve repentance and turning to him. And he is there ready to receive us. He is ready to receive uh, our repentance. I think about this quote. And I'm going to read this and then we'll go to the table because it's really, it's all about the table. If you, if you would, you could turn to Revelation 3, 19. These are the last words that Jesus says um, to, specifically to the church of Laodicea. And then he, he will open up the door and we will enter into next week, Revelation 4 and 5, where we go into the throne room of God and we see people worshiping and we see the one who is worthy to open up the scroll. We see the lamb, we see the lion of Judah. But here is this image I want for us to read this morning. And if you would, would you stand with me? And the band, you can come up. Brett will lead us to the table in a minute. But listen to these words 
These are the words that Jesus says to his servant John to the church, and I believe they're words that we, they're for us. They're specifically not to us. It's to the church of Laodicea, but certainly, certainly, certainly for us, for the church of all time. Jesus says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Think on that for a minute as, as, a, as a son or a daughter. Maybe some of you are fathers. Maybe some of you are mothers. Think about that relationship of love a healthy, beautiful, loving relationship between a parent and a child. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Earnesty is about being sincere. Be sincere, repent. And then this invitation, it's, it's beautiful. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus knocking at the door of our lives, at the door of our hearts. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is an invitation to the table of God. This is an invitation to open the door, to leave behind the things of this world, to leave behind the sin, the mistakes, repent, and to open the door. And verse 21 says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning we pray to you, Jesus. You are standing at the door of our lives asking to come in. You are the Lord. You are the one who gives freedom. You are the one who gives, offers repentance. You are the one who covers over our sin. So Lord, we open the door. We repent of sin. We repent of mistakes and say, Lord, we open the door to you. Come in, Lord. You promise to eat with us and we with you. So, Lord, that's where we are this morning. We're opening the door to you, to your kingdom, to be with you, to have fellowship with you. So, Lord, we praise you. We worship you this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.